I didn't know that was going to happen. That was awesome. Okay, four minutes of fellowship, not five. So, psh. Psh. I was just telling these ladies over here that even when I was their age, this is the kind of stuff that made me, like, sneak out the back door. So we chatted for a bit. That was good. I heard a fact the other day that terrifies me um, as a person who speaks to groups of people. Uh, it was a Harvard scientist. I don't know what her job was. And she said, she was talking about how the average attention span in America has dramatically dropped over the last decade. And she said that the average attention span of an American person today <clears throat> is eight seconds. That's all I have. <laughs> but get this, get this. She said that the average attention span of a goldfish, nine seconds. <laughs> so I put together a series of eight-second talks. I hope this works. Um, so the Barna Group, I don't know if you guys know of the Barna Group. They're kind of a Christian survey research company. They asked young people who had left the church why they left the church. And the highest number of young people, 35%, said they left the church because Christians think they know all the answers. Isn't that interesting? And I thought to myself, at what point in time did we decide in this world that being a Christian meant being a know-it-all? Especially because we followed Jesus. And Jesus loved questions. He loved receiving them. And if you notice him in, in the Gospels, you notice that he loved asking them. And he very often answered a question with a question. It was a part of the rabbinical Jewish culture that he lived in. And he really did not answer most people's questions if you read the gospel. So it is strange to me that somebody somewhere, probably a big old grown-up person, came up with this knuckle-headed idea that knowing all the answers equals being a good Christian. Because I'm pretty confident that's not a true equation. So after setting myself up really poorly with that information, I now want to look at a big question, um, but with this huge attitude of humility. And it's a question um, that says... How do I know God's plan for my life? Anybody ever ask yourself that question? <laughs> Slow but stressful nod, especially from the seniors. <laughs> and the reason I thought this would be a great question is that this is a reason that my husband of, I didn't even introduce myself. Hey, I'm Alice Shirey. I, um, I've been a teacher at the Orchard Hill Church, on the Orchard Hill Church teaching team for the last 14 years. Married to my husband, Chuck, the love of my life for 27 years. And I have a 24-year-old, 21-year-old, and 18-year-old kid. Yep, thank you. And um, <laughs> I know. Uh, this, anyway, I'll tell you why. You'll get, a, you'll, get a, you'll get an understanding of why this question means a lot to me as I dig in a little bit. So how do I know God's plan for my life? And wouldn't that be awesome if I had a three easy step answer to that question and then I would be rich and famous and then I would tell you that that is God's plan for my life, for me to be rich and famous, and that would be awesome. But um, there's not a three easy step answer to this question. I only believe that there's conversation about it. So now all of you who came hoping to find that answer. You can go. Um, <laughs> this question, 
dogged Chuck and me for the first decade of our married life together. And it dogged us because we had developed somewhere along the line wrong ways of thinking about life and about God that some very nice and well-meaning Christians had taught us. And they royally screwed us up. Bless their hearts. In fact, a, a few weeks ago, Chuck said to me, I wish someone had said to me back then, Chuck, the way you are thinking about and trying to discover God's plan for your life is 100% wrong. And if you let it drive you, you will spend the next decade of your life wandering around, never finding what you're looking for, and believing that it is because God won't reveal it to you and because you're not spiritual enough or faithful enough or good enough to figure it out. And he said, if someone would have just said to me, that is wrong thinking and pointed me in a better direction, it would have saved me years of agony. And since I was married to him, it would have saved me years of agony too. You see, Chuck was led to believe this idea that God had a plan for his life that was kind of like a pinpoint, a very specific, very detailed plan, and it was his job at 21 or 22 years of age to figure it out. And if he didn't figure out God's one plan for him, he would miss it. There was a lot of discussion about missing God's will, and he would miss being God's person, and he would miss God's purposes for his life. And the truth of this, you guys, is that this is paralyzing stuff when you're 21 and 22. It's like God plays games with young people, hiding his will from us, making it elusive and impossible for us to figure out. And that's what we believed about him. And Chuck also believed that the best way, the highest way, the most holy way to honor God was to go into some kind of full-time professional paid ministry, even if you didn't really feel led to that in any way. Now, I was a little bit different. I never even imagined that God would ever call me to use something, um, uh, uh, he, that he would call me to something that used all the things I most love to do in my life. I called these my non-marketable skills, and I have a lot of them. Um, I love to read. I was that kid with like 47 books coming out of the library. I like to tell a good story. I have a good memory. I can run my fingers across the spines of books, and I can see in paragraphs where things are that I need to know about. Um, I also have, like, this magic timer in my head. Um, and so, like, let's say I was going to put some cookies in the oven. I don't really <laughs> often put cookies in the oven, but let's say I did. And they needed to bake for 12 minutes, and then I went to the living room and watched TV and started reading the paper or something. At 11 minutes and 59 seconds, my body will just stand up and walk to the kitchen. And then, ding, the timer goes off, and Chuck's like, what's that for? I'm like, cookies are done. Knew it. So that's a non-marketable skill. <laughs> but, but I have this idea that God's plan for me had to be something awful and hard and horrible so that when I chose to do it, I would be showing him how much I loved him and how clearly I had died to myself, like being an accountant or a salesperson, a proctologist, one of those jobs. A job, do you know what a proctologist is? Thought that'd be, okay, thank you. Um, are you a proctologist? No. <laughs> okay. I was hoping there would be none of those in the house. Um, jobs I would both hate and suck at all at the same time. So the two of us with our super dysfunctional ideas got married. And then we flopped around waiting for God to appear with a sign that said, go here, do this. We flopped around for 10 years, my friends. 
Lots of grad school, lots of money, lots of moving across the country. And in the midst of all of that, we had three babies. Because why wouldn't you do that when you're floundering around, have no jobs, and don't know what you're supposed to do with your life? Okay, that was just all my introduction. Here's what I wish, <laughs> here's what I wish somebody would have told us. How do I know God's plan for my life? Okay, that's a great question. But embedded in this question are three statements that I think can help guide us not to an answer necessarily, but to a better way of approaching the question. So the first statement that kind of flows out of that question, how do I know God's plan for my life, is that we need to know God. That's the first thing. And I I had quoted David Benner to you guys last time I was here. He's one of my favorite authors. He says, God longs for your friendship, not your compliance. You see, we need to know that, first of all, what God cares dreadfully about is that we know him. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 3, that eternal life is knowing the Father and knowing me. His primary plan is to gather all of his lost children back home to himself. That's who God is. And so the writer of the psalm says in Psalm 143, verse 10, and I love this because it connects these two ideas together. It's a prayer. Teach me to do your will, God. Show me how you want me to live. For you are my God. I know you. I have a relationship with you. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. See, God's will and his guidance and his leading and his direction, those things are always embedded in a relationship with him. Those are not like commodities we can wrestle away from him without knowing him and becoming his friend. I, I pictured this. Like imagine if my three kids, so now you know, 24, she's out of college, has a job, Uh, and uh, two kids in college, one's a senior, one's a freshman. What if they called me and our phone calls went like this? Hey, Mom, who should I marry? Okay, bye. Hey, Mom, hi, what should my major be? Tell me now, okay, bye. Hey, Mom, hi, where should I live? Okay, bye. Hey, Mom, what? How am I? Who cares? Just tell me what to do, okay, bye. Now, how, how would our relationship be if that's how they treated me? I mean, it would just crush my heart, to be honest with you. I have answers to those things, but I want to tell them. So underneath, <laughs> underneath the question, how do I know God's plan for my life, is this statement, this idea of knowing God. Because when we treat God like this answer guy, and we don't want to actually be in a friendship kind of relationship with him that Christ died to allow us to be in, we kind of crush his heart. So that's the starting point. How, how, how can I set my life up so that more and more and more I can know God? And the second statement embedded in this question, how do I know God's plan for my life, is this statement, uh, we got to know God's plan. we got to know what God is up to. And there was something I did, I don't know, like 16 or 17 years ago that really changed the way I think about this. I was given a workbook a fill-in-the-blank workbook written by two Baptist men. Now, if you're a woman with the gift of teaching, you don't want to read a book by two Baptist men. So, nor do I like fill-in-the-blanks, 
I despised them with a passion, so I tucked it under my bed for three years. And then I decided to read it and walk through it with my really, really good friend. It was called um, Experiencing God. And uh, it helped me find my gift of teaching and start to teach at Orchard. And I thought, wouldn't it be funny if I wrote those two Baptist men a thank you note? You, do you guys get why that's funny? Okay. <laughs> I, I'm like, are you all Baptists? Have I just like totally thrown myself under a bus? But this is what these guys said. This is what these guys said in this workbook that just changed my way of thinking. Henry Blackaby, one of the Baptist boys, said, what is God's will for my life is actually the wrong question. The right question is, what is God's will? And then I take my life and mold it around that. Because once I know what God is doing, then I know what I need to do. The focus needs to be on God. And God is at work all around you. And they said, watch to see where he is working, and then join him. Now, this is brilliant, because you want to know what God is up to and how to join him? Then, then, you know, the process has been the same for centuries within the church. Immerse yourself in a community of faith, and then immerse yourself in the life of Jesus. The one who said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. And when you look at Jesus, you will begin to see God's grand restoration project for all of creation. And when you pay attention to his words about what he came to do, you'll start to understand what God is up to. Jesus said, or the the scriptures say in John chapter 3, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Jesus said, I've come to seek and save that which is lost. I have come for the least of these among you. I have come to serve and not to be served. See, and then we can pay attention to not just what he said, but how he did what he did. And then we can follow him in that. He calls us to deep humility and endless forgiveness. He calls us to cross borders and religious and ethnic and social and political divides to serve our neighbor. He calls his followers to give ourselves up for the sake of others. And we need to remember, too, that his plan is big. It is so big. So don't Don't buy into the kind of small American idea that all God cares about is packing souls into heaven. He cares about people's eternity. But he cares about eternity in such a big, broad, wide way that we can contribute in it with him in multitudes of creative ways. Now, sometimes we skip this step about trying to understand God's plan and what he's up to because we don't really want to know what he's up to because we don't really want to join him in it. And I know this because I feel this in myself very often. I don't really want to give up my life to follow him. I really don't want to think of others more highly than I think of myself. I don't want to trust God with my resources. You know? I just want him to tell me what job to take, who to marry, and where to live. And while he does that, if he could help me get the job, get the guy, and buy the house, I'd appreciate it very much. Thank you. But God doesn't work that way. He's, I, I wrote this down. I'm like, he's not a genie in a bottle. And then I was like, is that a song? And then I thought, is that a, then I looked it up, Britney Spears, but it's not. It's Christina Aguilera. Do you know this? Is she too old for you guys? Thank you, Christina Aguilera. (laughs) 
I realized I just started Orchard and I used the word wrecking ball and I should have like broke into a little Miley Cyrus and I thought that would, you know, some people would be, and then, so there you go. Anyway, but that's not how God operates. I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, God. He's not a genie in the bottle. No, I'm red. Um, so, so here's the thing. First of all, we need to know God and then we need to know what he's up to. And here's the last statement that comes right out of this question, and I don't know if this one is taught enough, and that is I need to know myself as best we can, no matter what our age is, and it might take a while, you know? We need to try to understand and joyfully accept how God has made us. And to say that we don't need to try to do that and know and understand ourselves in this process because, because maybe that's just not spiritual enough, well, that's just dumb. I'm sorry, but it just is. Throughout history, great Christian thinkers, huge men and women of faith have acknowledged how important it is to know yourself as you come to know God. St. Augustine prayed this prayer. He said, let me know myself and let me know thee, O God. And John Calvin said, nearly all the wisdom we possess consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. See, Chuck and I spent those 10 years blowing through cash, wandering around, feeling lost and broken, and feeling like we were missing the teeny tiny pinpoint, the needle in a haystack of God's plan, really obsessed about what we should do for a living and where we should live, and never ever asking ourselves, how did God wire us? How did God create us? What do we love to do? What are our strengths? What brings us joy? What are what are our gifts and passions and dreams? What are you doing when you forget about time and you forget about work and you forget about the world around you? And I don't mean like binge watching Breaking Bad or something. I mean like doing good stuff. What are you doing when you kind of just lose track of time? Okay, I'm just, my time's done. Um, and I wish somebody would just have said, do that. Chuck has a degree in economics from Harvard. He loves working with money. He was the only college student I had ever met who was already giving money away, investing money wisely, and saving money for the purposes of God in the world. This is a huge reason I fell in love with him. He fell in love with me for two other kinds of reasons. One, we went on a road trip together, and I was the fastest peer he had ever met at rest stops. He's filling the tank, and I'm in and out. He's like, did you go? I'm like, yeah. Wash my hands, done. Two... I can drive a car with my feet from the passenger side while Chuck eats a Big Mac. <laughs> Ladies, men love a woman with skills. So I'm just saying, work on those two. Okay, wait a minute. Back to Chuck. He was unique, this man was uniquely designed and created and gifted to work with people and their money. And he kept begging God for a decade to show him what he should do with his life. And he agonized because he felt like he received no direction. But what we know now and what we wish someone would have told us back then was that God was probably just waiting for Chuck to realize that once he's in a growing relationship with God and once he sees how God works in the world, that maybe what Chuck should do is just do what he's most gifted to do and what he most loves to do. 
It wasn't rocket science, but we just needed someone to tell us that was okay. It's Dallas Willard who said, it is God's will that we ourselves should have a great part in determining our path through life. I honestly believe that sometimes God looks at his children and says to us, figure it out. I have a friend who was torn between two decisions, to move here, to move there, and she said, which one of those decisions do you think God is in? And I said, oh, my friend, God is not in your decision. God is with you. So make a choice, and he'll go with you, and then you will be with God. So in the end, here's the sorry truth. You will face this question over and over and over, no matter how old you get. And every time you and I face it, we have this opportunity to square ourselves up again with these statements. Do I know God? Am I seeking him more and more? And am I invested in understanding the life of Jesus? Am I watching for that life to be lived out around me? And am I coming to know and accept myself for who God made me to be? And then am I offering him that? And in the end, you know, whatever we decide to do or where we decide to live or what we decide to do for a living, God always promises to give us himself. And that's what we really need. So that may not be an answer, but I hope it's a bit of a road to put you on that will save you a decade and a lot of cash and a lot of agony. I'm going to pray, and we're going to keep worshiping. God, sometimes we want to make this all so difficult because we don't just want to make a decision. And sometimes we want to make it difficult because we don't, we don't understand how to slow ourselves down enough to seek you, to watch for what you're doing, and, and to understand and enjoy how you've made us. So would you help everybody in here, no matter where they are in this journey, even in their faith journey and their journey through college, help them to arrange their lives to know you. Help them to, in this community, watch for what you do in the world. And then free every single person in this room up to accept and to know how you've wired them and who you've created them to be and help them with joy and confidence to offer the gift of themselves to this world. And I know in the end that you will be glorified and honored in that. Amen.